periodical podcast. With me is Matthew Lichtenstadter. I am happy to be talking to you again. Uh, we have our little Y hockey bubble up now, uh, socially distanced through Skype. Uh, I've washed my hands. Uh, I'm actually wearing a mask now. Uh, it's it's a Florida Panthers mask. I got one of those three packs. My mom got it for me for my birthday. I don't know how how safe that's going to keep you and the people around you from COVID nineteen, considering the Panthers' defense. <laughs> it's it could be porous. You're you're correct. It could be porous. I would rather have a Tottenham mask right now because at least yeah, I trust Jose Mourinho to figure out the defensive part. It's actually it's not just that there's like you know porous and things get through. It's it's that they take it would be my drop. Open up. No, they take my droplets and they actually give them to other people. Oh, I they see. They just turn them right over. I just see that. I see that. Uh, I, I was, uh, I was yeah, anticipating, I... you know, they're going to open up a little too soon, be a little too presumptuous, you know, something like that. No, I mean, no, no. Florida, it's... you know, what can you do? I'm sticking strictly to hockey today. Uh, ah, okay. Well, I mean, that's just Florida. I mean, good thing there's no bubbles in Florida for the NHL. But it's still funny how the bubbles in Florida for the other sports are actually working. Yeah, well, I mean, there is technically a bubble in Florida for the NHL uh, with, you know, the Panthers and the Lightning having their home training camp before moving to the hub cities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it there, there's a few reasons they didn't do it. NHL PA wouldn't vote for it is a huge one, but also um, how do you make it work? But I would have liked to see the teams in, like, Arizona, Florida, you know, Nashville, uh maybe move get to the hub cities earlier so they're in those high risk areas because you know canada there's a lot less risk uh and of getting it i would have agreed with you i think most people who talk about this who i have now listened to far more often than i ever thought i would were like we'd like you to go to the bubbles two weeks before you start even doing anything for reasons i mean i saw mls and teams brought huge amount of infections with them in the bubble and they had to drop out of the tournament because of it uh, so that was my biggest worry. But then the NHL said only two players tested positive on intake for phase three, which is surprising. I wasn't expecting only two. I was expecting a lot more. I'll talk about why I don't like the the NHL and the way they're releasing positive test information. Uh, you mean later. creating creating the illusion that there's going to be way more than two positives? I mean, it's not even that. It, okay, I guess I'll go focus on it now because I've been following MLS's back. Which, Bubbles pierced. What a great tournament it's been. I've really enjoyed it, actually. What MLS does is it is at least specific enough to say one player from X team tested positive. The NHL is not going to say what teams these players are on or necessarily what bubble they're in. I'm sure it'll be reported. Bob McKenzie will have it. You know, Fridge will have it. Somebody will report, you know, we have a player on Team X that tested positive. But that, I don't need to know who tested positive. I don't care about that. We're going to figure it out anyway because they're not going to be able to play. But in the case of telling us who tested positive, like, let's say the NHL will go, okay, five players tested positive out of the 2,600 tests they administered. Well, if those five players, you've got one on one team, you know, in the Edmonton bubble, et cetera, et cetera, like, that's a lot different than five Panthers testing positive. So that's the distinction that I wanted the NHL to make. I know why they're not doing it, but it creates more confusion because unfit to play is a really terrible distinction that could mean anything and it creates an information vacuum which leads people to speculate and when you speculate you get things like the washington nfl scandal story which was teased to be a lot bigger um than uh people 
simpletons thought it was going to be. It was a big story regardless, but the information vacuum created people saying there was like refs were paid off or crap like that. So that's why I don't like that. But yeah, this isn't the NBA. Come on. No, I mean, but, but <laughs> the, the NHL is going to get this to work. Like, that's something that I'm going to say it right now. There will be a Stanley Cup awarded unless something really – and again, it's 2020. Something really dumb could happen. I'm not discounting that in any way. But I'm fairly sure the NHL is going to be able to pull this off, not just because they're playing in Canada, but because now as you see the NHL um, is following a lot of what MLS did and what NWSL did with these bubbles, and those bubbles have worked the way that they were supposed to in large regard, so long as players don't, you know – do Stanley things silly, and there's punishments for doing something silly, which I find really amazing. And the teams have to keep track of their own players, not the league, it's the teams. And I love how the Panthers, I would love to know who the Panthers' compliance officer is, just for the sake of argument, uh, whoever it is. I hope you're doing better than the Panthers' defense did before the season ended. Uh, So that's going to be something we follow closely, but I think the NHL is going to be able to pull this off as long as there isn't a ton of infection brought into the bubble. That's where you're going to get problems. But with two players testing positive now and the NHL players kind of knowing just because of hockey culture, which is something else I guess we'll have to get to at some point. There's been a lot of fun hockey culture stories since we last did a show. I guess that hockey culture thing is going to chill anybody from doing, you know, silly things, leaving the bubble unnecessarily, which, which gives me least good reason to believe that this tournament's going to work. And I think that that's good for hockey fans and it's good for the NHL because whatever the case may be, the NHL has put itself in a position where it can say, yes, we can do this safely, and that gives hockey a solid footing. I think the NBA is going to do the same, but Major League Baseball and the NFL are going to have trouble, and college sports, that's a free-for-all. So I think the NHL has put itself in a pretty good position, and based on what I've seen from MLS, if the NHL can approximate that as best it can, considering now that they're going to be in cities with far less infection than anywhere you get in the U.S., I think that that means we're Probably, if all goes well, fingers crossed, I think we're going to see the Stanley Cup award in October without truly all that much incident. Yeah, yeah, I think, I mean, yeah, to me, it's just simple as getting out of the U.S., getting out of just the inability to wear masks, the just that an always aggressive pushback on everything. Uh, I think just getting into a, that environment I mean, we, there was a story on Athletic about how much, how long will a pound of marijuana last in the NBA bubble in Orlando? Um, that's something NHL players don't have to worry about, and let's be honest, that's gonna help everything. Um, so Edmonton and Toronto will be able to get their uh, reoccurring ups, uh, you know. So well, it is definitely legal in those two cities. I think the reason why I'm more confident that it's gonna work is not because they're playing in Canada. That looks better for optics. What MLS has proven and what the NWSL has proven, it doesn't matter where the bubble is, so long as your bubble works and you don't bring a ton of positive cases with you to the bubble, you can pull it off if those protocols are followed. Like MLS has had three different testing cycles where nobody in the bubble has tested positive, and they're in Orlando. So if your bubble's followed, well, you can, in theory, bubble anywhere. But it, it, I, it looks better I, for I also think that Canada. the bubble, like, it, they're not really in Florida, really. I, you know, like, it's, it's, it's a little different in Orlando, and they don't have ice rinks there that make it really no, work. I, but, I, I, but, I mean, like, what, what I was thinking about as— Orlando's such, like, a corporate— convention city anyway it's it has a much different acceptance 
and I think the reason why I'm but, like, well, let's let's not let's. I, I mean, I think I think yeah, we. I don't want to spend too much time on what why the bubble is gonna work. Let's just yeah, you know, let's, I, like let's fingers crossed. Yeah, I think it's going to work. Yeah. I just hope. Yeah, let's not jinx see, this. So. Yeah, I just don't hope we see a ton of teams bringing it on intake to the bubble. That's where problems could start to happen, and that's why MLS got into some hairy territory before things started to smooth out a little bit. So that's and hopefully fun. teams bump the pay of like their marketing people and their relations people and their cleaning crew and or whatever they're bringing with them because and their let's face officer. it and let's face media it media person whoever that is yeah let's face it those people do not get all the glory and don't aren't involved with like the oh. competition or you know aspect of it so trainers, uh, equipment managers sports psychologists they should get more pay than they do obviously and especially now because i think the joke is it's a five-star prison and you're going to need your team psychologist to be working a little bit hard because you can't do the normal things you do and well just don't talk to mike matheson he's already no, screwed screwed up. oh that's that's well we were, i was gonna wait for that joke later um so there are other things than the nhl's the return to play that we should talk CBA, about CBA. cba yeah we're gonna have labor peace we're gonna possibly have the olympics if the olympics are on a normal schedule for 2022 which is gonna be great uh but bad because china not to get into that i said hockey only but, but then milan milan is better. hockey only but you know nhl needs to be careful with how they expand business in china because absolutely but let's all sleep party. at night you know what i mean that, that is correct. But for the sake of argument, it's going to be great to have the NHL with best on best of the Olympics. Uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. And, I mean, I will get up in the middle of the night to watch those games. I yep. think all of us will. Um, yep. So that's good. The big thing from the CBA is, other than the fact that we're going to have labor peace for uh, into the future, which is good news for Seattle, it's good news for the NHL's TV deal, which is very important, is um, we're going to have a flat cap next year and probably the year after that. And the following year after that, the cap might only go up like a million bucks. Now, this is, again, all predicated on like how many, um, like will we have a shortened season next year? Are fans going to be able to come back? There's a lot of questions. The NHL doesn't really have the answers to that for obvious reasons yet. But what that means is, is the upcoming movement is going to be so interesting uh, for a lot of different teams. And in the case of Florida, I don't want to talk too much about the future as of yet. They have a lot of cap space, but like the things we were speculating that they could do in a pre-pandemic universe, they're probably not going to be able to do, which means all those boat acre contracts that are on every roster are stuck. They're not going anywhere. Um, and it means you have to be smarter in the way you maneuver your roster. It means you have to be smarter with your young players. It's going to be really interesting to see how teams and GMs work around that. It's going to be interesting to see how many teams spend to the cap, period, because who knows how individual owners have dealt with this pandemic and their businesses outside of hockey, because obviously the business in hockey has been hit really hard. That's a very interesting question. So, I mean, in the case of the Panthers, they're going to have like $20 million in cap next year, but this is going to include, you know, you have to re-sign Mackenzie Weger, probably need to re-sign Evgeny Dadnoff, players like this. It means a good number of players are going to walk. It means that you're going to need your young players to be very, very important pieces of your team, even well, yeah. more. Right, yeah, but I mean, let's get. I mean, flat cap is the flat cap. We knew this was coming without the pandemic, um, because the issue is to get peace, a peace agreement. They needed to flatten escrow. They needed, and which they did. The escrow numbers. I was surprised that you know some single-digit percentages there in in some years. I mean, it's going to be tough. 
um, until this extension kicks in, you know, through this year and next, I think. But um, I, I, I think that this was the best they could have got for escrow without leveraging a, a strike. Um, so that was the play, which is the other thing. Yeah. But so, I mean that, but the flat cap was always coming. Uh, what we always talked about from a Florida perspective or a team like Florida that needs that to get out of contracts with the escrow, the flat cap and everything they needed actually the, the lockout, uh, in a, in a way so that they could get some of those, bigger changes and bigger get out of jail free cards like they have in past lockout um where more's on the table where more more things move side to side from an owner's and a player's situation and um you're not going to get uh the you know the buyouts without the cap hit uh type stuff i did say for like ever i was like there's going to be no compliance buyouts even when the pandemic hit i'm like this this is not possible so, I mean, it does. it's not going to kill any of these teams, but it's going to be fascinating for, for movement. Because like, if you're a team like Vancouver, who has a bunch of important players coming up and a ton of terrible contracts, like, they're stuck. And, again, you can't predict a pandemic, but it's going to mean, like, if you're a Toronto or a Tampa, or if you're a team that was tied up to the cap, you're going to have some interesting issues coming in this offseason and because the offseason is going to be really really tight there's not going to be a lot of time to think about moves and it also ties in with what do you think this tournament this return to play actually says about your team that's another big question it's going to make it i mean the draft this year when it happens with the moves is going to be totally insane because there's going to be a lot of teams that are just kind of like we have to do something. I don't know what we're going to be able to do. But on DMs like we well, have. Well, I mean, the issue is teams just are going to have to, and they will. They'll figure out how to make it work. And like I think that's what we forget. I mean, yes, this is a challenge. Uh, it's going to be hard. But and they they probably did make a mistake not including something like this. Like not including. Um, because it's going to be a flat cap, like some sort of uh, forgiveness or some sort of change to the 35 plus rule, um, you know, something like that. They 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 changed. They could do something if they needed to. Yeah, but something that type of big, uh, it's it it would have already been talked about and you know would have been discussed on Twitter and the noon Toronto shows if, if that was a thing and it hasn't been. So, um, so you know. That's that's the way it is. But the, the the teams are gonna figure it out. I mean, we're talking about billionaires who in the pandemic are mainly going to get more wealthy with how recessions and private equity and mergers work. Uh, you know, JetBlue is already partnering with Southwest or whatever to you know, they'll they'll businesses will figure it out, sports will figure it out because they'll have the money to experiment and push for stuff. And they still, at the end of the day, want to be competitive because, um, you know, it, there's no reason of having a sports competitive vanity tax write off. If you're not going to use it like that, um, and they'll still have enough money to do it. So they are egomaniacs. Florida, Florida will figure it out. You know, it's just, do they have the desire? Can, will they be creative enough? Do they have the right people in the front office to get it done? And I think if you go a team by team basis, that's really the question more so than, oh, we got screwed with the cap. 
the last TV deal, the way they structured it, pretty much with the with the all up front and then flat, um, you know, with with NBC, that's a lesson learned. They're going to do it differently with the new TV deal. But that, you know, between that and escrow, there was fixing escrow. There was bound to have a flat cap, and you know that was years, you know, two years that teams should have been preparing for it, uh, and they're smart enough that they knew this was coming. So. You know, Florida signing a te- guy like Anton Strawman last year and Bobrovsky and stuff, that's they knew the risk. And they, with Bobrovsky, you got the KHL out. You you were hoping for maybe some lockout uh, compliance buyouts, but you know, you can make it work. Strawman, uh, that's going to be a little harder to move uh, in the next couple of years. So you probably just have to ride it, eat it now. So yeah, it becomes even more important to move guys like Yandel and Matheson. Uh, to get cap freedom. We're never going to be able to move that. Matheson is an right. interesting one. We'll Let's, get later. I, I, everyone calls Yandel a boat anchor, but every NHL team is going to be interested in this day and age with a guy who can put up 40 points and play defense. So Definitely possible. And, I, and run a play, play one unit. So, I mean, that's like the trendy thing. So it's not unmovable. Mike Green proves that. From a Panthers perspective, I think the one thing that's very interesting, and I'm looking down the line, because depending on where the cap goes – in a couple of years, we know Alexander Barkov and Jonathan Huberdeau are due massive raises. If we were in a normal universe, their raises would have been really, really big. I know it's a percentage of the cap thing that'll probably end up being where we go. But for those two, their cap numbers are going to be lower than they would have been otherwise. Like we think about some players, somebody even said, I, I remember hearing it, I can't remember what podcast it was on, but Alexi Lafreniere's deal out of his entry level is going to be affected by this. And I went back and looked at him like, Barkov's deal is going to be affected by this. Huberto's deal is going to be affected by this. That's a couple years down the line, but it's something that I was thinking about. So makes it more a- important for Florida to, you know, for lack of a better word, suck it up, do the right things now, um, take their medicine and put together a, a, a winner. Uh, and start winning because winning is the only way you're going to get Barkov and Huberto to take the even less of a hit to stay in Florida. So even with you know, the situation. Yeah. Yep. So there are yeah. other things that happened uh, during this return to play. Obviously, the draft lottery. We'll talk about a little bit about that later. Um, a couple of teams decided to go hog wild with their front offices, and that would be. I mean, you know, we complain about the Panthers a lot in their front office and their ownership. As I have will always say, everything comes down to ownership in sports. Everything comes down to your management. The Buffalo Sabres, I mean, the Panthers didn't play well against the Sabres this year. They, uh, I believe they lost all three games to Buffalo this year, which was hilarious considering what the Sabres did. Like, have, have you ever, I mean, we've seen the Panthers do crazy stuff with their front office and it blew up, but that wasn't because they were being cheap. It was because somebody whispered sweet nothings in their ear. The Sabres are doing this because, you know, they felt they got duped by the hockey establishment, which is fair enough. The hockey establishment isn't people I would actually trust. But then they hired a guy who was working in their accounting office or something like that to run their team and to cut their scouts. And I know you're cutting scouts because of the pandemic, but I mean, this is one of the weirder front office moves in hockey that we've seen. Uh, I don't know. I don't want to. It's bad. I mean, it's not good. Obviously, the ownership and the people they've hired have failed and not done their job well enough uh, to still be in this position with the some of the players they have and drafts that they've had. Um, but, you know, they this isn't unprecedented. This is just as bad as what Florida did. I mean, I don't really see much of a distinction. 
Um, you know, you could say it's being cheap or it's not being cheap. It's, I mean, whatever they were spending on Buffalo was a drop in the bucket, really, to this guy, the Sabres. Whatever they're going to be spending is less of a drop of a bucket, but I don't know if that's really what matters. You know, like, there's so, like, I don't think it's being cheap. I think these guys, this guy's just frustrated, and now he's just clearing the books, letting, you know, burning it down and letting it sit, and then going to see what he does after he figures out the bills, which is a competing interest and all that, you know, jazz. Uh, I think I'm surprised their GM wasn't good. I don't know if he was allowed to do what he wanted, but that wasn't as, you know, as advertised. He's always, for the last like five years, he was a top candidate for a lot of GM jobs and everyone seemed to put his name in there. Uh, I don't know if it's because he's a hockey guy. I certainly think that there's a lot of good hockey guys out there that could come in and fix the Sabres or come in and fix, uh, you know, Florida for that matter. Um, And I also know that there's, analytic guys and girls and you know like i think i don't think it's an issue of who like the category of people running uh the or owning the team i think it's the actual people uh you know just aren't doing well and they keep making uh bad panic decisions or you know rush decisions um but it all seems when, when you see the team that they put on the ice, when you see, you know, other than when you see, you know, basically anything in their history, uh, it all makes sense. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, as I say, everything comes down to ownership. And, and while I will always say, you know, people in the traditional hockey backgrounds, they can be very bad. And I understand that I've railed against hockey culture. We'll continue to do so forever. But at a point, if you keep cycling through people and they don't work, you got to look inward. And that's why we, and that's why we, when we talk about the Panthers, we talk about their ownership all the time because it is an ownership thing. If your ownership is good, if your culture is good, if you establish what you want, you don't have to fire everybody in five seconds and then hire Kevin from accounting. You don't have to do that. So it's it's Pagula and company. Money can't buy you happiness, and you got to look in the mirror. You got to see what are we doing wrong. And the hardest thing to admit is somebody of that stature saying, "I screwed up, mea culpa." And that's what's happened in Buffalo, and that's what's happened in other places with very, very bad management. Edmonton did the same thing. So it is bad. It, it comes down to me is they don't want to take the patience and the hard work of doing it the right way, and they don't want to listen to other people telling them what to do. And that, those are the two big reasons I see failure in Florida and, and Buffalo when it comes to ownership. That's correct. And the one other weird hockey thing that happened – uh, apparently, Lindy Ruff was good enough to get another head coaching job, which surprise. The Devils obviously aren't making as many uh, or as re- many, you know, repeated uh, silly mistakes like Buffalo has. But yeah, their GM and and coaching search uh, that that all baffled me. I'm not sure that's gonna, you know, maybe that makes some of the veteran guys happy. Um, but I'm not sure why you would do that with, you know, having so many number one picks, having so many top 10 picks, having, you know, there's a chance that they're going to have Askarov as a goalie, uh, of the future, or, you know, a couple European players, uh, or just younger guys. And is that who you want? Do you want Lindy Ruff being there in their forming years and the most important years and their cheapest years, um, which is important in this cap? 
era, especially if you're in New Jersey, which means you're owned by a Harris. So, you know. Trust the process. Well, it's just interesting because yeah, yeah. they did with the Sixers. But the Sixers, they trusted the process. Then they got really sick of it. And then they hired somebody who. Yeah, just as, again, it's it's a patience thing. You, it, It's knowing when to hold them and knowing when to fold them. You need to listen to a little more classic rock. I don't know why these old hockey guys and aren't listening to this old classic rock song. I thought that they'd be very much into old classic rock based on what we hear at hockey games when we're allowed to go back to them, obviously. <laughs> no, no, it's it's all that one system of the down song. That's all oh, that. that's, that's really unfortunate. Well, it's just interesting because if you wanted to develop those young players and maintain a somewhat cheap coach, I thought they would have brought back Nezradine. But I don't uh, know. No, I, I think that they there's probably – I mean, there was a lot of ways they could have gone and stuff, but, you know, Lindy Ruff is your definition of what you were talking about of, you know, just recycling. Well, it's not even recycling. It's just that, I mean, the other top contenders for the job were Peter Laviolette and Gerard Gallant, apparently. The Gallant thing is he wanted a lot more control over, like, lineups than I think a lot of front offices were going to give him because he ran into that issue with Florida, which, again, I hated that when the Panthers did it and ran up to Gallant and didn't give him the control he wanted. But apparently it also happened in Vegas, too. So I don't perhaps, understand it. Manager, I mean, you see it in soccer, you know, managers need to have a little more control over personnel and uh, that kind of stuff, especially when you're... You just need to be in simpatico with them. You yeah, you're... Be able to be on the same wavelength. And I never understood how these GMs in Florida, I understood they would have with Gallant. But in the cases of, like, Vegas, like, I didn't understand, like, how did they, like, lose that connection between the coach and the GM? They should have a good working relationship and... I, I never and, and and Laviolette was too expensive, so I under I understand that uh, in that way. I don't but, think that's an excuse. When you have when you're trying to keep Taylor Hall, when you made a big trade to get PK Subban, when you have all these Jack Hughes, when you have Nico Hishier, and you're saying you want to win, you can't say that an extra million dollars or an extra million and a half dollars for a coach who is in charge of setting the culture running all this stuff, but also has no control over personnel. So it's really unfair for him and is the first to get turfed if things don't work out. I mean, I don't know. I feel like you want to – you spend the money to get the right one. Again, this is all about doing things the right way, having patience, not being you know, penny-wise but a pound foolish. And I think you spend more money cycling through shitty coaches, as New Jersey does, um, than you actually do if you just – Again, suck it up, take your poison pills, and, you know, move on. Which Florida did. We'll get to the Panthers in a second. There's obviously a lot to get to with this team. We'll talk about all of the news as well as previewing what's going to be life for like them at Return to Play. But first, you want to talk about why hockey's future, because normally we wouldn't be doing a why hockey on July 20th, but this is a weird world. It's a mad, mad world, as, as one person said. Uh, so... You want to explain to all of your loyal Y Hockey listeners what the future of this podcast looks like. It's very exciting. I'm, I'm really excited for it. <laughs> I don't know about very exciting, but it's, it's you know, every year we, we well, do things. It. you got to sell it. I'm not a salesman. I, you know, I'm a marketer. I can maybe market it a little better. But, uh, you know, every year we, we switch things up a little bit. We add a new wrinkle. We change things. We, we look to do something, you know, different, you know, change a website, add a website, delete a website, uh, you know, all that good stuff. So next year, uh, I think we're going to have three different uh, Tommy and Matt podcasts. You know, one with me and Matt Lichtenstadter uh, talking Panthers, NHL stuff, as we usually do. Uh, but I think we're going to try to get uh, O'Brien, 
back, the original map back, talk a little more Flyers, uh, but also have some Panthers overlap with him. He's a big Panthers fan. Uh, and then I'm very excited about this part, uh, mainly because of Florida's incompetence, uh, but not strictly because of Florida's incompetence. I think we're going to be adding a third mat to, you know, three periods, three mats, uh, with uh, a little avalanche coverage. My brother, Matt, uh, is, you know, we're going to do some trial run stuff during this playing series, see how it goes, and hopefully uh, add it to the podcast. So it'll be a lot of fun. Um, little, little something different. Um, and, you know, Colorado is a team that for a lot of people who are follow the Flyers or the Panthers and after they finish uh, their game and are looking at the West Coast games, uh, you know, the Avalanche are an exciting team. They play exciting hockey. They get good results. Um, they seem to be able to draft well, sign well, you know, do all that stuff. So there's, you know, a lot of positivity activity and news and you know content around that so i think everyone will enjoy it and uh, hopefully we'll pick up some new new people to add to our Y hockey bubble you know just after two week quarantine favorite team the colorado avalanche i think that's fair to say at this point <laughs> yeah i mean if, if i'm being honest you know right outside you know the flyers winning the cup this year i, I think the avalanche winning the cup this year would be the second best option i know uh, i know yeah, i'm a bigger panthers I know I'm a bigger Panthers fan than, you know, those two teams, but let's be honest, the Flyers have, you know, are looking like a, a very, you know, more of a contender and the Avs are obviously a contender as well, where the Panthers, you know, if they become a contender, obviously I'll root for them, but they have to get through the playing series first. Well, uh, speaking of that, should we get to all this Panthers news? Cause I think we should spend. A good yeah. I'm sure some that. people skipped ahead just to get to I this bet point. They did. And I'll put it a time code for you. So, you know, it's about at the 30 minute mark. You have to uh, listen to the Panthers talk. Um, there's a lot joke, of joke on them though, is we go, we bounce back and forth about the Panthers going through all those other topics so much that they'll have to skip and listen. And you know, a lot, cause they'll hear Panthers and then sit there and be like, Oh, they're not on the Panthers yet. And have no, to they're not on the Panthers forward. yet. Oh, it just, well then they'll realize, Oh wait, no, everything's bad. They are on the Panthers actually. So I, Oh boy. Well, it's so interesting. Speaking of front offices. Yes. Well, let's, I want to focus first on this. And you, and you texted me this story when, when Chris Pronger left. And that's obviously what we're going to focus on for a little while now. Okay. And I want to talk about Steve Simmons. I know that this well, is a let's, very interesting Can, can I preempt with Steve Simmons? Is yeah. Steve Simmons is bad. And I and I'm no way encouraging him or saying that he's a truth sayer or anything like that. But he does have a kernel of truth in everything he says, and that there's still things that can be gleaned when he's the only one reporting something. Because usually that's somebody's agent, like Chris Pronger's agent, you know, or Chris, you know, or some people connected. In the incestuous yeah, who who know that Steve Simmons is the type of guy to just take this and run with it? Now that well, could mean a lot of things. Dogs. But he did with the hot dogs. Uh, I will talk about the. If you didn't see what we're talking about, why hockey tweeted about it? It was about two weeks, actually nine days ago, uh, and it was written by Steve Simmons. I had to look it up because when I read the quote, the poll quote about Chris Pronger, I was wondering who wrote that. And then when I saw it with Steve Simmons, I was like, oh, that's not surprising in any way because Steve Simmons got into a little bit of hot water for saying Austin Matthews had COVID-19, which was true, but it wasn't that it was true. It was why do we care about Austin Matthews having COVID-19? So I think it's important. That is, 
Uh, but that's a different story. That is a very different story about journalism and journalism of ethics and things like that that we don't want to get to. But it comes back to the Steve Simmons story here. Okay, it comes from his pull quote, one of his columns, uh, and it's talking about Chris Pronger leaving, and I will quote it for you. Uh, There's more to Chris Pronger leaving the Florida Panthers than has been spoken about. Pronger wanted to be the next general manager and should have been the man to replace Dale Talon. Word around, which is a really terrible phrase that I hate, uh, is that the assistant GM, Eric Joyce, will soon be elevated to the top job. His background isn't hockey, it's national security. The Panthers continually keep trying to be smarter than everyone else in hockey and somehow fail every time they get cute. Um, so that's stupid. So let me- Well, I mean, well, let's, let's, no, 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 no. Let's, let's take this at face value because let's remove Steve Simmons from the equation. Uh, let's do that. And let's, no, 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 okay. So, I mean, is it, do you, do you, what do you dispute in there? The, the core things of what he said. Now take out the emotive language and all that, but what are the things that he's presented is Chris Pronger is leaving. Why? Because he wanted a larger role. He wanted the GM job, which I think is obvious. And he wasn't going to get it because they, the person who's going to get it if Talon leaves from internal would be Eric Joyce. Again, that all lines up with everything we've seen, everything we've been shown so far. I, I believe all of that. Uh, you know, some of his thing, you know, there's some, he puts in a lot of things, you know, other stuff around it. I, is it soon? I don't know. You know, the, the, you talked about a phrase that was terrible, you know, word around. That's a stand in for somebody texted me and told me to say this, but told yeah. me not to use a name. So yeah. I can, I, I, so that doesn't bother me. No, you know, there's other stuff in here. That if, I, if Darren that Drager said, if Darren Drager treated this out, and to me, Darren Drager is equal to Steve Simmons. It, you would, I don't think you or a lot of people would have any issue with well, running with let me, this. Let me explain why I have issues with this, okay? And I will say it is not because of the reporting, which, I, as I said, I believe there's a kernel of truth in everything that is said, even by Steve Simmons. And I do believe that this is true, that Eric Joyce is very beloved in the organization for reasons. Now, I will talk about a couple of things. The, the quote, the word around was not the worst part about it because he obviously got a text from one person. Who the hell knows who it right. is? Nobody yeah, else the stuff about the, it. The last like two sentences. Which is, is with the last sentences. His background isn't hockey. It's national security. Well, true, now, true. This is definitely true. However, it is clear that this man does not know who Eric Joyce is because I believe, if I'm correct, and I'll, I'll edit this if I have to be uh, corrected, I believe Eric Joyce was one of their first hires that Viola and Sifu made when they got to the Panthers, and that yeah. was like seven years ago. Well, so yeah, now he has a— background in national security, but he's been working in hockey for forever. So I don't really— I wouldn't about- call seven years forever, and I wouldn't call the seven years of work that he put into it good. And I, I yes, you could say that he should have said— you should have said that he's only had seven years of hockey experience, and those seven years are bo- are terrible. They're yes, they're terrible. Correct. This that line. This is why I say he doesn't know anything about Eric Joyce because we've been talking about Joyce on this show forever. He was one of the computer boys. Now, the fact that he didn't get fired after I think that he season, knows he's just using the he's just using the lazier, easier. Which shot. is why I really dislike this column because again, you don't have to be lazy. You just have to do some research. So, and I'm Eric, not using it. I'm not. I didn't put it forth to say it was good or bad. I just put it forth to say that this is another data point that proves that the front office of Florida is not heading in a good direction, hasn't been in, in a good du- in 
any of the directions they went in the past hasn't been good, and they need to get a lot of fresh blood. And the closest thing to fresh blood internally was Chris Pronger, and now here's even more confirmation that his leaving was because they're idiots. I can, I can believe that Chris Pronger saw the writing on the wall. I could believe that. Now I think he probably said, I think in during this corona thing, he pro, I think Chris Pronger is the type of person that said, listen, uh, it, am I going to be the next GM? I want to be the next. I want to be a GM in you know this timeline. Is this possible? You know, you know, I've, I've been with Talon for three years now. It's time for me to shit or get off the pot. And you know, he's Chris Pronger. He's pretty forceful. So I don't think there was any confusing about what he wanted. And I think they re- respected him enough to say, no, you're not getting the spot. Like you know, there's we have Joyce ahead of you, slotted ahead of you in our depth chart so to speak and you know we still talon you know hasn't left yet and we're not going to ask him to leave uh so no and and you know what's really interesting about this and i wrote about it when i wrote about it for the which is by the way is is fair to say for florida that is perfectly fair to say and i'm not disputing that in any way that they liked joyce more than talon that i'm not disputing in any way i've i've seen no evidence to suggest otherwise what i wrote about in my rat trick column which you can find i have it posted on my twitter feed um, when I said it is, what would have happened if this was a normal season, which you can't really think about, but it is always a hypothetical. We do hypotheticals here. Uh, what would have happened if we had a normal season and the Panthers missed the playoffs? We were talking a lot before things start, before things stopped about Dale Talon being forced out. They tried to force him out multiple times and they failed. Now, this failure would have been bigger than all the other ones because they spent all this money and even that couldn't have fixed the obvious problems and just getting to the playoffs, which is the bare minimum here, and they wouldn't have done that. So would Talon have been promoted upstairs or basically kicked like what happened five years ago or four years ago, excuse me? Would that have happened? It, and I would have thought the answer would have been yes. There's no way to know now. And I would have thought that Pronger would have been a great contender for the GM in that regard. And I maybe, perhaps, Pronger kind of knew that was coming and then when the pandemic hit, he knew, okay, they're not going to make any changes, at least immediately. There's no right. way because of just pandemic-related things. And again, we credit Vinny Viola and the ownership for paying everybody through the pandemic as they did, which other teams did not do. They didn't furlough anybody. They have a smaller organization than most NHL teams do. But that was, of course, a very good thing that they did. And that, to me, says a lot about like where this direction was going like pronger knew he maybe had a chance if talon was forced out to convince them that he would have been ahead of joyce right and now he knows talon's not going anywhere at least for next year and he didn't want to wait around any longer yeah joyce and then getting the job yeah. or not and 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 the thing that is interesting to me is he didn't go around looking for another job in hockey perhaps that's pandemic related because nobody's going to be changing their front offices that much because of the of pandemic related costs and he went into a travel business, which, again, whatever you want to think about going to a travel business during a global pandemic is what it is. Maybe we're colored by the fact that the American experience is much more terrible than anybody else. So could he get a job in hockey? Yeah. Would he have been a good GM? I have no idea. I would have liked to have seen it. I would have been okay if it was Florida because it would have been something different. Do I think that Eric Joyce is the highest internal candidate to replace Dale Talon? 100% yes. And da- and. It makes you want to vomit. <laughs> yes, it does. It makes me want to vomit because Eric Joyce is terrible, and we've said that for years. It and doesn't it's, matter that it's solely that. based on his track record. Yeah. No, this is not because he was in national security or any of these other things. Yeah, and it's not about, you know, any 
it's just really the last if you look if you just want to look at the last three years of development and prospects and all the lost ground there in the AHL, uh, basically turn failing at the whole Springfield Thunderbirds and turning that around. That was his what closer his fucking hometown and he can't even succeed there. I mean, I don't you know it's just not to be in Springfield next year. Yeah, I mean NHL AHL season, I should say. Yeah, so I mean ever you know the 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 Thunderbirds is no more, you know, they they lost they've they've just pounded good prospects into the ground and lost any sort of trade value and all that stuff. They have to make it work with these guys or just let them or they're going to basically evaporate to nothing or you know maybe they turn around, who knows, but uh you know Joyce is the manager to turn that around. And the answer yeah. to that is hell to He's, the no. I mean, they're bringing up Gordy, Jordy Kinnear or Greg Kinnear or whatever the hell his name is. And I would rather Greg Kinnear. Now, I mean, I, between him and Derek McKenzie on the bench, I mean, you have well, one Tom Rowe. No, yeah, I'm joking. I'm you joking. have one Tom Rowe. I do want to say that um, for Mike Kitchen to say, I don't feel comfortable doing this, I'm out. I think that's very brave and good for him, and I'm glad the Panthers support that. And if, if any of the Panthers wanted to say, I don't want to do this, Anton Strawman make noise about that, that he is going to play – I would have supported it 100%. There's no reason why, if you don't feel safe in a global pandemic, that, and you don't want to take the risk, you don't have to. It's perfectly acceptable. And for Mike Kitchen, he's the only coach who has done it. So, I mean, again, for him, I respect Mike Kitchen even more now for doing that, to stick to your guns. And that's something I believe is very important. And obviously, do I like Jordy Kinnear and, uh, and Derek McKenzie on the bench? Well, well Jordy Kinnear is now going to take Derek McKenzie's roles as the eyes in the sky. Do I like that? No. But it's still Joe Clanville, and it's and it's fine in my. It's it'd, fine. Be, it'd be worse in reverse. <laughs> it would be, it would be worse in reverse. That is correct. But like the reason why we don't like Eric Joyce is obvious. The AHL team has no development whatsoever, and even and listen, if you're if the AHL affiliate of the Tampa Bay Lightning, and your team isn't as good because they've traded away all of your picks and prospects, that's a different thing than oh we have all of these prospects and they're not developing and this we're not playing them. You know we're we're bringing. We're bringing in undrafted guys or late round picks that are maybe going to be AHL regulars and playing them over them. You know, yes, it's yes, hundred percent. The, the Springfield Thunderbird story is a disaster, and that is on the feet of Eric Joyce. He, he managed the Thunderbirds into the ground as a general manager. That's his GM experience. That's his the only GM experience you have outside of being the real GM when Tom, with Steve Weir when Tom Rowe was the GM or president and then coach. So yeah. it's not looking good. No, uh, so bad. And, so and there, I, there are tons of general manager candidates out there. It can be inside the hockey world, it can be outside the hockey world. They could try a two-headed monster. They could do a lot of things. They could hire Alexander Mandricki which would be amazing, but they won't actually do that. Like, again, you don't need to be a hockey person to be good at hockey because most of the people who work in the Leafs front office are not hockey people, and they're great. Alexander Mandricki is not a traditional hockey person, but the Seattle Easter eggs are going to be amazing because she's running that team. You don't need to be – that's what the biggest problem I have with the Simmons piece was the implication that you had to be a traditional hockey man. No, I think – I think – I, I, I mean, I – the way when I read National Security, I saw that was a shot at, oh, that's the connection to – to Viola, you know, and the national security, the the related to the army, so it's not right. news. I mean, but like but that's... I didn't I didn't see that. I mean, maybe it was a shot at the, the not hockey thing, but I just talked I just took it straight as it's oh yeah, he's Viola's friend. That's all. Well, so again, like I, I that's what I took it as like because I am so programmed now to see anything hockey culture related because of issues I care about deeply. Um, 
which I think you know if you've listened to my other podcast. Yeah. Do two people in sports. I interview hockey. The people, issue with and- the culture is that there's no real, true leadership voice that ownership, players, everyone trusts and understands and likes that actually can get it done, that has gotten it done before, that can get it done again. And the second part of all that understands defense in this emerging game because everyone that's come through this front office in my opinion has had a bad interpretation of the type of defensive group you need to make the playoffs and compete in the playoffs in this new era of hockey uh the advanced stats people you know computer boys whatever they didn't really i i wasn't happy with that i wasn't happy with you know, Talon's approach before that. I ha- I'm not happy with the hybrid approach after that. I'm not happy with what it seems the way they're going, uh, the way they've drafted recently. It's been maybe good enough. They just aren't getting their signings. They just aren't getting really the the utility of the defense, what a defenseman role is in this new age, and then how to have eight or seven of them that can function and work as a group and have multiple pairings at work and move the team forward and the puck forward. Yeah, puck rushers versus puck movers. We're going to say this until we're blue in the face because it's the difference right now between the Panthers being bad and the Panthers being competent. I mean, yeah, and a little feng shui. It's it's and, you know it's a little balance, a little you know opening up the chakras. I mean, whatever you want to call it. I don't want to say the puck rushers are bad, but you can't have only puck rushers. You need puck movers. And I think that and you need and you need certain players. types of puck movers because Keith Yandel is a puck mover. He's not a puck rusher because he's got awkward feet. Yeah. You know, he's slow off the off the block. Yeah, but... and now and now we know why. And I mean, like again, good for a power play, but he's playing third pair minutes now. So like, is that good enough? Like, yeah. you know, look I mean... at the teams that are the the favorites to win uh, in this tournament, if you can call it favorites, because this is a jump ball everywhere. I mean, Colorado, we just talked about them. They've got a lot of great puck movers. There was an amazing article about um, on The Athletic. I think Harmon Dial wrote it. I sent it to you, and I said, this is the Tommy Krulikowski article on, like, who are the best movers of the puck? And you look at some of those defensemen, and the Panthers have none of them, and that's a big problem. You need to have somebody there. You know, in, like, like I think some of the, the – the, 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 it's again, it's an interpretation of what works in a defensive context – but in the case of the Panthers, like, you're looking at defensemen on there like Rasmus Anderson. Sam Gerrard is on there. And Sam Gerrard is one of the reasons why I think the Avalanche are, you know, it's not just Kale McCarr. It's because you have other defensemen like Gerrard who could do all of these great things. And that, to me, shows the, the disconnect between what the Panthers are doing and what other teams are doing. And it's why they, they found themselves in a big area of, of trouble because they just don't have those defensemen that they need. And that's, that, that's really kind of frustrating to me. And it will always be until they actually change it. And who knows if they're going to change it. It's okay. So the article I'm referring to, it's on the athletic. It's um, uh, let me read the title for you and credit Harmon's uh, work. Uh, especially identifying the NFL's best puck moving defenseman. He explains what he's doing and the 10 best of them that fit the requirements. There are no Panthers on there. Yes, and and I still, I mean, even just and just to really plot out my point, I think, and and this is really gonna piss off a lot of people and make me sound like I'm full of myself. And when it comes to this segment of hockey knowledge, I I am a little bit, but 
I don't think that article even caps. I think that still focuses too much on puck rushers and the metrics and everything. I think that there's so much that is just left behind and not even discussed about defensemen and considered. Um, And, you know, you're starting to see some people come around and they have, they, there's some players that are sexy enough or, or, you know, you know, skate with the puck enough to get the acclaim, like a Victor Soderstrom this year in, in the Swedish hockey league. But, you know, last year it was, Oh, he's so boring. Oh, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't do this or he doesn't do that. But everybody didn't talk about how he was the best person in the draft at retrieving pucks, taking two steps and hitting a forward with a pass. He was the best at looking around the ice and making a decision in a split second. And those two things are huge if you play 26 minutes a night and you have the puck more than anybody else on the ice on your team. It's it's the simplest thing, and I don't think we talk about enough. Like, it doesn't have to be sexy. You just have to do it. You know, I know the, the forwards are too, too fucking good to do. They let them do it. Like they're yeah. the stars of the show. Like it's 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 not basketball where the point guard is the star of the show, especially five on five. I mean, you you gotta like you don't want. It's not you know, you shouldn't be passing the puck back to the D at all that much. You know the the forwards are the ones that are gonna be doing the sexy stuff. Are gonna be you know I don't want to use that word ever again in this context, but um, well, you, you know you want you want forwards on the zone entries. You know, you want forwards crossing the red line with the puck. You want forwards um, taking the shots. You want forwards in the home plate area making those primary shot assists. I mean, for the most part, you do. You know, one of the things that I love, it was a quote from an old a writer friend of mine talking about soccer. It's piano carriers and piano players. Like, if you've got a good team of piano players, it doesn't matter if the piano isn't going to get there. And when I always think about, when I think about soccer, I think about piano carriers as being the midfielders who do the things that you don't notice. They protect, they, they make those quick passes to transition possession going for it. That's what I think a good defenseman should do. You know, you don't need all of your defensemen to do that, but you need two of them at the very least who can do the little things, do it quietly, which is the closest the Panthers have to that is Mackenzie Weaver. Nobody else is even close to that in terms of what he does in being, doing the quiet things well. And you know what? Hockey players should be very accustomed to doing the quiet things well and not taking credit because it's hockey culture. And I'm sorry, that's a running joke that I apologize for. <laughs> but those are the kind of defensemen that you need. And those are the kind of defensemen that make teams better, that put good teams over the top. You know, it takes you that one step further. It's why, you know, the Avalanche are going to do what they're going to do. The Bruins can do what they're going to do. It's why Columbus has a better chance than Florida probably does because they've got defensemen that do that. You know, you can score all the goals you want. Florida proved it this year, but if you can't keep the puck out of the net, who gives a crap? It's the teams that have an identity and a, a talent in drafting, developing, using defensemen, moving defensemen, identifying pro and amateur defensemen to add to their team. Um, you know, all of that. You look at Nashville, Colorado's becoming one of those now. Um, yeah, Carolina, Calgary. Um, you know, we're talking about Rashmus Anderson, uh, you know, Oliver Shillington. Uh, you know, these are people who we I, why hockey had in the first round and has really good defensemen, but the scouting community soured on over the course of their, you know, 
draft plus one or draft minus one year. One of the things that Harmon put in his piece is possession exits, which I think ed- entries I don't care about as much. It's exits. No, no, I don't even want possession exits. I mean, this is like you like three steps, man, and move the puck because these forwards are so fast. They're faster. They're they're better. They read the ice better, and it puts the D back on their heels. When the when the defenseman is taking a uh, a possession exit all the time it gives the d of the other team who are the most important and it gives the goalie on the other team much more chance to engage the pace of the play see where everybody is on the ice get ready for it once you're moving the puck up to the forwards and the forwards are taking off getting it to the center get it to the wing it's so much more fast-paced. The Ds are turning quicker. They're on their heels. They're off balance. And the goalie is more focused on the puck carrier and less on the other ice. So you can have somebody, you know, the third man high coming in off the rush can float high and, and you know, trick a goalie with just a random, you know, just a regular slap shot from out high because, you know, the, the goalie is in a much more panicked state. Uh, and, and that's the type of stuff that, you know, the Panthers and other teams – and other people need to realize is it i would rather somebody who gets who gets who who's really good at getting my wingers and centers possession exits mm-hmm. versus is I getting like I, I, like 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 the like Hughes Quinn Hughes I don't like Quinn Hughes because look look at look at how much his wingers and centers get the puck. Look at how much they have it going through the neutral zone entering the zone or even leaving the zone. It's just not enough. And when you have when you have Elias Pettersson on the ice, that's 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 there's no excuse for that, and that's what people have to understand. It's not about oh Quinn Hughes can can do it. Of course Quinn Hughes can do it. He's a great player, but that's not what the that's not what the position calls for, and that's not how you get the most out of those amazing young forward group that you're growing, where you have three guys on a line that do very specific roles. Give them the puck and let them do it. That's what I say, and that's what Florida needs to do, uh, because they ride their their forwards, and if you're going to ride your forwards, you need to support them and not not make them go out of their comfort zone and do things that they shouldn't do to support you, which is what Florida does, which is what Florida does in their game plans a lot, which hurts Bobrovsky and why people think Bobrovsky sucks. It's not that it's. You know, they're, they're not getting meaningful possession. They're not getting good breakouts. They're not doing this or that because meaningful possession. they're not focused. I've heard that phrase a lot. And, you know, it's, it's kind of me, like, trying to think about bringing soccer concepts into hockey because I hear that phrase meaningful. Yeah, and, and that soccer concept you brought in with the defenseman and the piano cares is, piano is beautiful. Cares, yeah. You can't you, – that's a great, you know, that yeah. should be hung up and, in and the I locker room. some of my favorite players in soccer as really, really, really good defensive midfielders or really, really good uh, midfielders like that as, as some of the players who are just underappreciated, but if you don't have them, you can't win. And in, 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 in this NHL, you need defensemen – who could do those things and the Panthers don't have them. I know the defensemen are out there and the Panthers need to go find them. I'm pretty sure that they could do it. I'm pretty sure that Dale Talon actually likes a lot of the defensemen we're talking about. So go See, ahead. I don't. I'm completely opposite because uh you like it's just they haven't. They haven't come close. I mean like you're looking at Ekblad, that's that was really a gimme and you know you can argue they shouldn't well, have they, they should have done something else but they did want to draft Soderstrom. That was that no, was but they no. But again, what what? It, no, they wanted to draft Knight first. 
that's what they wanted to do. Because if they wanted to draft Soderstrom first, they wouldn't have waited that long because they would have known he would have been gone. And if they did their okay. homework, okay, fine. because guess what? The, 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 the GM that drafted him is one of the GMs with the biggest mouth. And, and, and is when he was with the Shikrin and everything, everybody knew what he was doing on the draft floor. And it's not a bad thing. I'm not trying to knock him. But, but that's okay. But, but, you know, but like, you know, everyone knows what his play is. He's very much, you know, he's not playing, you know, it's not like they didn't know Arizona wasn't going to draft him. They did. And they chose not to step up and get him because they didn't want him as much as they really wanted Knight. It was just something they could say, you know, like, oh, you know, like Talon always says that. Like, oh, we really wanted that guy too, you know, and oh, we, we, we wanted this, you know, like it's just words. But, you know, they didn't want him. And, you know, they didn't want to. They want him as much as they wanted they, somebody. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't want to. You know, they signed Strawman because they didn't, because he kind of fits that defenseman we're talking about, and it shows that they kind of understand all this stuff. But if they really understood it, they wouldn't have been Anton Strawman, wouldn't it? They wouldn't have put that money in that contract. It would have been. A, they would have spent more assets, time, resources doing it. They don't understand the problem. They don't understand it fully or grasp it. They can't they handle. They don't have enough Swedes. Is basically what you're saying. Well, I mean, the Swedes play more of that style because a lot of, you know, they mix that soccer and hockey way more. And that's yeah. that's something that's not talked about. And that's why, you know, that's why Buffalo maybe has a chance with a guy like Rasmus Dahlin and Ralph Kroger, you know? like. Yeah. Yep, they do. But, I mean, again, if the management is bad, who cares? There's enough soccer right. teams out there. Can we just save those bad, two? It doesn't, it doesn't matter what the hell you do. Can um, we just save those two from Buffalo and bring them to Florida? I'd be okay. Well... <laughs> If we got Darlene from Buffalo, I'm I'm okay with Joe Quenville, but uh, no. Well, we need a new GM, right? It's not I mean, like he. You know what? Ralph Kruger's GM. I mean, I'd be okay. He with could Ralph. be D coach and GM. He gets the best. I mean, that's both basically worlds. what he's gonna be in Buffalo at this point. <laughs> he's basically gonna be that. I mean, Kevin from yeah. accounting is gonna sign off on whatever. Um, which Ralph is, Kruger, but particularly ownership wants them to do. And if we're making, and if that's the thing, then you know that's probably the smartest thing they could have done because. I think that's the type of person they need to have do both roles because he can succeed. He has the type of mentality. I don't want to get stuck on this too, too, too much. Uh, that's more long-term Florida Panthers, what their yeah, outlook is. Short but, term. but short-term, you know, I don't think what we talked about, you know, the team is what it is. Uh, but there's, you know, we talked about the CBA stuff being kind of against Florida's best wishes. This playing stuff, everything else has been perfectly slotted and tilted towards Florida's favor. Uh, not only do they get a solid matchup with the Islanders, um, they also have a shot at number one overall, which we'll get to maybe later in the draft, depending on this is a long one. Um, uh, you know, we'll get to it. I have opinions, but you know, they, they're looking good. I mean, and when you talk about how they had pretty much a whole off season, who does that help the most? It helps Quinville and it helps Brobovsky the most because Quinville could have all those months to be like, all right, I know who these guys are now. You know, I know who I want to play with. I know what my roster is and I've seen them. I have tape on them. I can go back and check. Let's, let's form the, 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 the strategy plan. I don't want to call it a war plan, but so that's, you know, but let's call it the strat, you know, let's come up with the strategy, how we're going to use these guys. If we're down this in this situation, because we're talking a playoff series where you're going to need multiple lines of with Barkov, you know, as a center. Barkov's going to need a couple 
couple set of winner wingers that he can play with because he's going to be double shifting he's going to be doing a lot of stuff uh you know you're going to need, need a lot of pp units pk units a lot of different bodies coming in and out um you know so that's huge but also Bobrovsky. He knows what this defense. He knows what he needs to do to calm the defense down. He knows what he he has to focus on when they're not calm. Uh, he knows, you know, and he can work and, and focus on that. But really, um, just the new met the the new start. You know that that fresh mentality of, you know, comf- having that comfortability and and all of it. You know, Bobrovsky wasn't happy with this season. I don't think it was a good season. I don't think it was as bad as as a lot of people. Uh, because I think, you know, judging by his track record, judging by his effort on the ice and where the breakdowns were in front of him, I- I'm giving him the benefit of the doubts up till now. Uh, I want to see how he does in this play in series, and I want to see how he does the first quarter of next season, too, uh, coming out of the next camp, et cetera, to really make my hard decision. But, um, you know, he's a type of de- goalie that whether you like the season or not, if you're looking at the goalies in the play-in rounds, he's one of the few goalies that can win a play in, a five-game play-in round on his own. Oh, and you're that, forgetting about Carey Price, sir, because of course he can beat the Penguins on his... I'm kidding. But, uh, you know, I actually would probably have more faith in Borowski than Carey Price, but yeah, it's kind of probably, you know, Carey Price is another one where, you know, he has the, he's done it before, he has the talent level, uh, and he's motivated and competitive and athletic enough to get it done. I wonder if the um, are ahead of him because they don't really want to be here. But anyway, uh, in terms <laughs> of the Panthers, I mean, basically they were given a mulligan. Like, that's what this whole thing was. The pandemic sucks. There's a, a lot of things that are horrible about it. But in this very, very, very minute thing, it gave the Panthers a mulligan. Not just yeah. – And it gave- brought other teams to their levels. Other teams are losing revenue and having a revenue year like Florida usually does. Other teams yeah. are having to deal with a flat cap like Florida was going to anyway with the, the big Bobrovsky contract. It's great. Pretty much. Pretty much. But also in just this particular instance, like the Panthers were playing a little bit better before the season went on pause, but we have no idea whether that would have actually translated into them making the playoffs. I don't think it would have. Their February- no, uh, the hole was too big. The hole was too I, big. I, I, I agree with you. I think the hole was too big. But they were playing a little bit better. But now, nobody remembers that except us. And, and everybody on a roll is starting over. And everything that comes in with Florida is, I don't think there's much they could do to worsen the opinion of the organization vis-a-vis where it is now. There obviously is a way that they could do that, but I don't think there's much of a way that they could do that. I mean, if they get swept. I mean, getting swept and looking terrible could happen. Getting swept, like, pulling Bob two of the three games, you know. That there are would... ways that they could do it, but it's not as many as you might have had for other teams who's, you yeah. know, like a Calgary or somebody like that who there's a lot of rumors about, like, what are they going to do? In the case of the Panthers, there's a lot more upside to this. If they it, Now, I still don't think if they beat the Islanders, it really changes my opinion of the Panthers at all. They have to win a seven-game series for that to really change. But beating the Islanders, even if they would lose to the Lightning or lose to the Flyers or whatever, would give them a little bit of organizational uplift. It would show them that in this kind of situation, we can do this, even if I don't consider it like a really legit playoff series win. Which it's not, even though. But it the, might the, the, the 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 fans in Florida would, you know, the oh, the I fans know. that they I, need I, to I actually buy tickets that don't buy tickets would. So yeah, that's, that's what matters. Hundred percent, I agree with you on that. Even if I don't necessarily see it that way, it gives the Panthers a chance to rewrite the script about themselves, 
and they control their own destiny in doing so. There is another thing about this series for the uh, Panthers and Islanders that I think is very interesting, that is, is important. The, there is a two-day break between Game 1 and Game 2. Uh, that's August 1st, that first Saturday, and then they don't play again until the following Tuesday. There is no other play-in series, qualification round series, where there's a two-day break for anybody. It's only the Panthers and Islanders. So if the Panthers suck in Game 1, you could almost call it a write-off because they get two days off to change it. It's not like they have to play Game 1, then immediately turn around and play Game 2 on a back-to-back. -back. Game 2 and Game 3 are back-to-back, but they don't have to do that immediately. So if something goes wrong in game one, then Joel Quenville can immediately change it and he doesn't have to stew over it. He knows, okay, I can change this and we can work on it immediately. And that I think is an advantage in that series that you don't have anywhere else. And I think it particularly benefits the Panthers because there's a lot of unknowns and there's unknowns with everybody, but there's more unknowns in the case of Florida than there would be say for the Islanders who you know how they're gonna play and you kind of know what they're gonna look like. There's a lot of questions, I think, about what the Panthers might look like in a game like that. So that, I think, is interesting uh, going into that little two-day break. Uh, I want to mention the lines, George Richards, who now has a new job, uh, about uh, what the lines were. And this is what they look like they're going to be. But again, considering these things could change on a dime, and I know Joel Quenville would change them, uh, it looks like it goes like this. Barkov will play with Vitrano and Dadnoff, which I don't have a huge amount of issues with. And if it goes wrong, Hubert will be put on his line immediately. Paula will center Hoffman and Huberto. I think that that actually could work. I, I think there's more to that that I like. Brian Boyle, who we almost forgot about because he was injured for half the season, would play with Walmart and Connolly. Who I can't believe is playing, which, you I, know, I mean, with, I know his, with his children and his past health. I, oh, I, yeah, I, I know. I can't believe he's playing, too, just in that regard. But, but you know, I respect it. And just like I do you know, respect it. Kitchen I stuck to his guns, he's sticking to his guns. So, you know, okay, that's his I shape. like it. And again, if you have the conviction. As long as he wears a mask, I'm all good. Yeah. If you have the he will wear a mask. If you have the courage in your conviction and Brian Boyle does, then all the credit to him. I'm not, I'm not going to tell him what he can and can't do. And then Sevier, um, Achari, and Pesic. I mean, I hate Pesic as a forward, but whatever. That could change. And then I think the three forwards who would be next up would be uh, obviously Sarla who played pretty well towards the end of the season, who I, I like a lot, is becoming a player I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of. Uh, Owen Tippett, too. Again, guy you bring in in a bit of a flyer kind of situation if you need it. And actually, Louis Starinen was another guy who I think is actually like would be one of the next forwards up, which is interesting, which I, I like. I like that, 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 that those three are the next three. Let me, let me, let me just start with uh, – I'm going to be real negative about the lines. I'm going to be real positive about the overall camp roster because – other than uh, Borgstrom, which hey, he's not hurt apparently. That's 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 bullshit. And let's let's talk about why it's bullshit because he didn't have that bad of an injury when Tippett got his injury. Tippett got a much worse injury, and Tippett's back. Tippett's back is fine. I, so I, did, can, I can I I can see that. I and there's a lot of there's a lot of smoke to this fire with Borgstrom. This isn't the first or second or third no, thing. Yeah. So. I agree with um, you. Why do you so not? other than that, the overall camp roster, it is what you expected it to be. There's some good bodies there. When I look at the forward lines, um, I'm pissed. And, and by pissed, I mean, why is Salara, why is Tippett fifth line? Why is Boyle 3C? Why is – Lostrian is very good. He, you, The thing is, Florida needs centers. They have no centers. They're hoping Hala of this, you know – is going to be like Bobrovsky and Quinville where this big break helps him, helps him adjust, and, you know, he's going to come out fine. But Hala isn't really a good 2C you want. 
you know like so you're already you're already slow there and then you're going to boil at 3c who after about 10 11 games quinville was like yeah dude you, you're not up to speed for the nhl anymore are we is are is all this time off like going to recharge his battery sure but his battery might not be able to hold that much you want him here for the the veteran leadership the practice style he's great and you know he's going to push people in practice totally get it you can even give him some games and stuff but third line center you're really going to be putting a lot of effort you're going to put a lot of stress on your two top two centers which means you're putting more stress on Hala to score which again is problematic uh then you you look at see you know the severe love i'm tired i'm over it i mean you have your penalty killers playing that much uh and the thing is you need a guy like wasterin who can do that but also has way more skill than these guys who can help chip in who can who can more accurately accurately move the puck to the guy on the third line who can actually score because there's only going to be like one guy on the third line who can score apparently at this point. So, you know, I, I don't get it. Uh, Tippett is going to be fast. He's going to have the legs. This isn't your typical playoffs. I mean, there's still going to be a series component um, and that, re- that, you know, there's going to be more line matching and more strategy and all that stuff. That's true. But, uh, you know, this isn't a season going into the playoffs. So it's going to be, so having fresh, you know, with all having fresh legs that Tippett will be able to give is huge, huge. So same with Sorella, who can play center, who can play wing, who can penalty kill, who can be on the power play. So I'm hoping these lines are just just the spread out the depth, spread out the lines, so everybody gets good pucks in practice when we do drills. No one, there's no one line that's a that's a drill killer. Or you know that that lets the pace drop or something like that. Let get through the expedition games and let's get you know before we see what the real lines look like. I, I can uh, imagine that. Yeah, I can imagine seeing because that. Because I'm trying not to focus because if these are actually the lines, then my my um my concern about Quinville in this type of playoffs is even bigger. Uh, I think Quinville's helped by the breaking of the COVID and everything to readjust, but I think this play-in series. Uh, you know, this format with this much time off and everything without that war of attrition type, I've been there, I've done it, grit type stuff. Um, I think that's going to hurt Quinville maybe more than other coaches because he's was brought in and his, his whole thing is knowledge base. Well, that knowledge base kind of goes out the window here because this is, uh, it, this should somewhat be treated differently. You're going to have a lot, you, you should probably be using more of your bench you should probably be less focused on veterans and more just on hot hands or, you know, uh, skill. I mean, like, because this is more like a world hockey play-in tournament than a... Kind of like a World Cup of Hockey group stage. Right, yeah. It's 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 less about... It's, it's, less, it's less like the actual playoffs than, an actual, than it is a tournament. So the, the, what I'm trying to say is, you know... All everything Quinville can lean on, sure, that might help him, but he has to be willing to adjust and not only lean on, oh, I did this in the past because that was a completely different type of playoffs. He has to adjust, he has to tweak, he, and, and, and he's a great coach, so he could, but if I'm seeing lines like this with Boyle as a 3C, you know, with, um, you know, with that third line and fourth line basically looking like two 
fifth lines for a lot of playoff teams, that's bad. That That's not going to go now, well. Now, I do have good news. The Panthers are playing the Islanders. So that means Matt Martin and Casey Stasek. Right, yes, yeah. yeah. So but, that, you know, so that's, 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 that's do you fun. want to be slogging it out for five games, or would you rather just see if you can maybe, you know, go up to yeah, nothing? Yeah. That first game is going to be really interesting because it'll say, well, if it works, then we might go back to it. Or if it doesn't work, we can completely throw it in the garbage and change it because you have two days off. Now, yeah, again, hopefully Quinville's patient helps them in that situation because the Islanders are going to do the same thing. You know exactly what they're going to do. And they might they have better center depth than the Panthers. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But they don't play a freewheeling style. And I think the goal for Florida is – as much as is can be reasonably expected, can you get the Islanders into playing an up-and-down game? They have the skill to do it, but they don't want to do it. You here's know, Panthers... here's why it's unlikely they will be able to. Because, one, the, the center advantage is w- how play style and pace of play is usually determined. Um, and they're also the Islanders is a team that's more based on team identity and playing – you know, well through all three zones and in a certain way through all three zones where, you you know, you describe the Panthers as freewheeling. Uh, it's going to be much easier for the Islanders to make Florida play their game than Florida make uh, I, I agree with that. Islanders, I agree unless with that. they out, unless they really, really outskill them. And they're not going to really outskill them unless they lean all the way on the skill because they don't have that much more skill I mean, they have more skill than the Islanders, and it's the Islanders, so that they're lucky about that. But it's not like they're like if that they were much Toronto better. Toronto in a series, I'd be, I'd be concerned because that. Oh, they'd be, yeah. I mean, I'd be really concerned, but I'm still somewhat concerned because they're going to have to figure out a way to change up the style. And if you're looking at these lines, it looks like Quinville's leaning into the Islanders' playing style. I don't know how that's going to go. At least, at least until they play the Lightning in that exhibition game, and I don't know how much that's going to tell us. But I'm more interested in it than I thought I'd be because then it'll let me know, well, what does Joel Quenville want to take with him? What does he want to throw away? Because playing the Lightning is not like playing the Islanders. And these exhibition games are more based on, like, oh, geography and familiarity than anything else. Like, I would have wanted to play Columbus if I wanted to, you know, like, here's an approximation of what I'm seeing in the Islanders. You know what I mean? Like, that's the team I would have wanted to play because they're the most like the Islanders that you're going to get in that, in that group. You know what I mean? Or maybe right. Boston. But mm-hmm. like, Tampa is a very different team. I, I I'm curious to see what that's going to be. The defense pairs are not really a surprise. Um, it's Ekblad and Weger, Stillman and Strawman and Yandel and Matheson. That's the best you're going to get, and that's fine. The, 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 I the, think I think they need to um, in the expedition game. I think both Prisky and Keeper need to play 25 minutes. I would I could argue that I do, I want to know I don't. I know think I think you just put them on a pair. Put him on a pair and let him play 25 minutes and do your other stuff. Matheson in that game anyway. But, like, also my wonder is because the the NBA changed up their rules for the exhibition games. Is the NHL going to change up their rules for the exhibition games? Like, can we have more players? You know, do we need to do just 18? Like, do we need to do 12 and 6? Or can we have more guys? You know? No, you can't have more guys because then you're having way too many people stuck on a bench. The NBA bench has the guys that are playing or not playing all sitting in the same area anyway. And it's a much shorter roster. The roster of the NBA team is actually what is on the bench in the NHL, you know? So I think they'll be uh, probably stuck to the usual. 
Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see. But, I mean, Prisky and Keeper being 7-8, and eight, um, do you have any strong opinions about that? Yeah, Josh Brown needs to get the fuck off the ice. He's terrible, guys. This isn't Mike Weaver. This isn't, like, you know, the type Josh of... Josh Brown isn't quiet. Police, that's good. Uh, I mean... Again, he was not. He was he was listed behind the other two, which I don't I don't know if that I think I think what you're gonna have is Brown still as your seven. I still see I I mean I'm looking at everything and what I'm seeing is Quinville balancing out stuff is gonna come together. I see. Uh, I'm hoping if I see Prisky and Keeper play a lot in the exhibition game, it leads me to believe that they are uh, above Brown because then Quinville really needs to to see if they can maybe get a playing time in game one or game two. Um, and that's the only way he can see uh, where Brown that's, you know, Brown's a known quantity. He Quinville already knows whether he's playing him or not. So, um, you know, the only thing that could game is to see, like, I don't need to see Barkoff in the exhibition game. I know what he is. I do need to see no. Tiff and some of these other players in the exhibition game. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think you will with the Fords. I mean, it's really just, you know, I, I think Strawman, Matheson, Yandel. I mean, we're talking about a defense that even when the Panthers were playing good at the end, the defense really wasn't. And I don't understand why. Before weaker link. I don't understand why Chase Prisky and Brady Keeper can't be like why Mark Pissick has to play forward so Quinville can have an extra defenseman. Rather than just instead of having Pissick play, just have Brady Keeper play, and and then just have a you know because like Brady Keeper or like have Prisky play uh, forward because you know that would maybe be better uh, because you know you really need somebody who can change that defense whether it's a lightning in the bottle whether it's just somebody picking up more of a role in the third line or allowing Strawman to play less or Matheson to play less. That would be huge. That would be huge, especially over three, four, five games. Uh, mm-hmm. And and Quinville, you know, they can't. The the thing Florida needs to do, they, like you said, this is a reset. This is a new lease on life. This is a mulligan. This is whatever you want to call it. So they can't do the same exact things they did. They can't. Because it, I mean, at that point, you're just asking to get lucky. That's all you're asking for. You're not preparing yourself to to put yourself in a in a place to take advantage of opportunities to step in, um, and, and really, you know, put your influence in the series. Uh, you're you're just asking them to get lucky. And so Florida is an underdog against the New York Islanders. Poor. That's bad. Uh, you know, they 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 have to push. They have to try something new. Um, because, you know, if we're being honest, if we're asking for Barkov, Huberto, Ekblad, Hoffman, and Bobrovsky to just carry us, I don't know. I don't well, know. I mean, Bobrovsky could because hey, this we'll is a, good draft this pick. a five-game series, and he could just get hot, and that's the end of that. But yeah, but like I said, you're, you're just asking for luck instead of, okay, we're going to actually beat them. Yeah, that's that's true. I'm not saying that that's what I'm I'm hoping for. I'm right. not. Of course. I, I want them to win it legitimately. So I think one of the big questions is is before we get to the draft, um, it's impossible to make predictions, and I'm not even going to do it for the rest of these playoffs. It makes no sense to do it until we get to even seven game series, which then you can start to learn a little bit more. 
So the big question I have, and it is an interesting one, and I, I hinted at it before, is does our opinion about the Panthers change if they beat the Islanders? Because we already talked about they don't really have much to lose in that as long as they don't get swept and look like complete ass. We're probably not going to change our opinion in a negative way, but can we change it in a positive way? Does beating the Islanders really do that? And to me, the answer is no unless you win a seven-game series after it. Because winning a five-game fluke series in the COVID Cup is going to look weird in the past. Maybe it'll look better in hindsight, given history and in future seasons. But for me, they got to do that. This is like they should beat the Islanders. They should expect to beat the Islanders. Like I, even if the Islanders are in theory better than them, and I would say that most people would think the Islanders are, the Panthers should still be beating them. Like that's a team on their level. You know, maybe yeah. they're not better than the top four teams in the East, and they're not. And that's a different kind of, uh, of series. But they should be beating the Islanders. So if they beat them, I'll be like, okay, they should beat the Islanders. That's what they need to be doing. That's what a team that wants to be where they want to be needs to do. They didn't do it in the regular season. Um, so that's interesting. Uh, that, that's my view on that. Uh, well, what about yours? So for a team like Florida and Colorado, that's based on wins and losses. They're a team that is playoff-ready, and should be competing and contending. So, you know, Philly needs to win and, and go deep. Colorado needs to win and go deep. For Florida, it's not that simple. Uh, for I'm still waiting for Florida to reach the bar where you can start judging by wins and losses and not by are they moving forward overall as a organization or are they moving backwards overall as an organization as far as, you know, how they view and handle different inefficiencies um, in their, in their, you know, front office and, and, and on the ice. Um, so for me, what I need to see is basically what I just talked about. I would like to see Prisky and Keeper, obviously, you know, they have to be of a certain quality. I don't want them thrown to the wolves if they're not, you know, if they're going to hurt the team by playing. I don't want them playing. But I want to see them doing something different um, defensively and to address their weaknesses. I want to see them try to dictate the game against the Islanders instead of just trying to beat the Islanders at their own game. I want to see their, the Panthers' best players and the Panthers' coach try to take the game back. But I also want to see the team play well as a whole and not be so freewheeling. Uh, you know, I want to see that carry over from line to line where momentum is increased and where the goalie has to be bending his knees, stuck deep in his stance for minutes at a time and worn down because that's how you eventually get that big goal that momentum swing goal in the playoffs that we know is much more meaningful than in the regular season um so can they do that can they can they start being take that next step forward to becoming a fully formed playoff worthy team um so it, it involves you know the best players being the best players and involves the coaching staff uh, you know, setting up the right, right lines and, and doing the right schemes and adjusting, uh, especially with those two day, you know, the two days off, um, you know, but it's also then about, you know, everybody, you know, you can't have a weak link. So, you know, Brian Boyle, if he's playing, he needs to do his, you know, all of his job, I'm not worried about Noel Achari, but you know, the Noel Achari's of the world, the, the Strawmans, the Yandles, you know, everybody kind of has to do their job, play within themselves, not try to do too much. 
uh, and then when they have an opportunity, execute. More Finnish than Swedish. I rarely say it, but more Finnish than Swedish. So if you, you get the joke. So yeah, I do. So if you were pressed to make a prediction, uh, do you think the Panthers? I would. I'm going to give you. I think the Panthers. Well, I have a. I have. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's what I think is going to happen because the world hates the Florida Panthers. Uh, in a second, but I think the Panthers probably don't win this series. If I think they're going to lose in five. That's my guess because the Islanders are just going to squeeze them, but they'll find ways to do it. But, I mean, them winning wouldn't be a surprise for me. I wouldn't I, be shocked. I, want, I, I really want to, and I think the series will go 1-1. Um, and then whether it goes 2-2, I don't know, or 3-1, um, who knows. But uh, I, I think it'll, it'll I think it'll be a 1-1, and it's a toss-up. But, you know, I think that Borowski wins this if I had to bet money. You know, if I had to make a bet and – I'm going to go with glass half full, but Borowski wins this. Um, but there is that voice inside of me telling me that, you know, the Islanders team has had more recent playoff success and is a more playoff like team in the way they play and their makeup and their depth throughout their argue that they would also have the same problem because the way that they beat Pittsburgh last year might not work in a five game series against a very, but, it's, th- but the, see the thing with the Islanders it's not about beating their opponent because they play such a good, they play such a team defensive style that they really handle any good offensive opponent. Yeah, because their losses were like two right. Carolina thing. Yeah, like. so I mean, like Florida has to think about the other team style, but you know the thing about you know the Islanders, that coach, and what happens is they adopt a rigid, structured. Uh, team first defense first mentality uh, and if and they stick to that and they make other teams beat them and if they can beat if if you can beat them fine but they have well, we're going to play this way and give it our all and that's what florida is missing they don't play that like that. That's, um, that 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 is a very good point and what i i agree with you on so here's my thing about and we're going to talk to the draft and we're going to end after this here's my thing of what's going to happen with the draft the Panthers are going to beat the Islanders, and then the Islanders are going to get the number one overall pick. And as I was talking to somebody who's an Islanders uh, fan uh, close to me, I said, he said, well, the Islanders aren't that lucky. And I said, but the Panthers are that unlucky. That's what's going to happen. That would be the most perfect Panthers thing to ever happen. They win the series. Everybody's got a little bit of optimism. And then that ball comes out, the Islanders win the draft lottery, and you go, that would have been Florida. That's what's going to happen. Can I ask you a few questions to follow yeah. that up? Just to, just to determine how bad that would actually be. Because it would be Florida. It's it be definitely Florida. Bad. But how Florida would it be? Let's let's find out. Um, what would you do with the number one overall pick? I would draft Lafreniere. And what that would do for me is then say, okay, now we have a lot of good forwards. Can we trade one of them? Wingers, I should say. Can we trade one of them for that defenseman we desperately need? Can See, we tra- one of them for that center we desperately need i would either i think for if florida's if florida's going to draft lafreniere then i don't want them to get the first overall if they're going to trade the first overall for both of new jersey's first round picks or uh five well new jersey has two yeah but you're not trading down to new jersey you're trading ottawa three and five why you're not going to get three and five for lafreniere he's not that much different and much better 
So it's uh, relative I, to what I, you I, get. No, no. The, the difference is if you're trading from for Ottawa, you are because the Senators need that kind of player, and he's French Canadian, and that's a no. That the Senators difference. aren't going to do that because their scouting is actually really good, and they understand that the players are going to get three and five are probably going to add up to more well, than what. See printed. people that that ranking of Lafreniere is like the fifth best number one overall pick. It, in the again, it doesn't years. matter. He's also really old. He's also a winger. You know, like there's. I, I, listen, I agree. I, that's why I'm saying I think Lafreniere. Uh, it, Florida takes Quinton Byfield. He's one of the youngest players in the draft. He's a center. That would be the that would be a reason to be upset about number one. Hmm. Boy, if you're gonna was... if you're gonna keep number one, you take you take the guy who has who's one of the youngest in the draft has is one of the most athletic is you know has you know in crazy amount of skill and is in the best position in hockey, the big, most important position in hockey, and one you desperately need. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, mean, there's also there's also uh, you know, if you could also trade back and get if you think Byfield's gonna be back later, you could trade back and get Byfield. Well, I, I was seeing a lot you of know, things get defensemen. are gonna take Byfield. That's what I was thinking. Like, if you trade to three and five, which I think Ottawa would do, um, you could like I've seen a lot of people say they're gonna take Stutzla as opposed to Byfield. Like, if you could get Byfield or Jamie Drysdale at three and five, I know why. I you wouldn't get Jamie Drysdale. That's well, a waste well, of a pick. So let, let's just say in a hypothetical, you'd get three and five and you'd get the most Tommy Krulikowski players you'd want. Would you do that over Lafreniere? The other thing yeah, I think about the Panthers trading sure. Ottawa is that he's going to kill the Panthers for his entire career. And I don't care about trading in the division. I do care about trading the number one overall pick in the division. That's fine. It doesn't matter to me. The, the thing is, that's what Florida has to stop worrying about. Stop worrying about who you give up or where they do, whatever. Just make yourselves better. That's what they need to do. And they need center and D. So if they got the first overall, they'd need to get center and D. The type of D they need is not Jamie Drysdale. It's Jake Sanderson, but Jake Sanderson's not worth a ten over a top ten pick. He's just not. I'm sorry to say that, but you're more likely to get Jake Sanderson in the second round than you are likely to get Jake Sanderson if you draft Jake Sanderson in the first round. That's how the odds are. So no, there's so many be- so much better centers. Jake Sanderson's not going to give you enough. He's not. There's no number one defenseman. There's maybe not even a top pair defenseman in this draft. If Florida is going to take any D in the top 15, the one I would take is William Allender. He has the skating. He's a lefty. He plays both. He plays very good defensively. He joins the play in, in offense offensively which means he's not carrying the puck all the way up the ice, even though he has the skills and the skating to do it. He is jumping in from the point when his winger gets a little lazy or, you know, being the fifth guy or fourth guy in on the rush, all that good stuff. Um, And he's just very good defensively and in transition. And that's what Florida needs. Um, But the, the, the fours in this draft are, I, I, now there's a lot of, overhype still with these forwards i mean because the chl and the ushl point totals each year just get more and more ridiculous the the quality of competition uh it's just off the rush a lot of goals i don't know how well those leagues that you know those numbers are really going to translate even if you're when you're especially when you're plugging in like more data friendly people do into nhle or something that really it makes you feel like you're comparing people and apples to apples, but you're not because the NHLE of somebody playing pro in Sweden is going to be 
crazy different than someone who put up 110 points, you know, in a yeah. score yeah. half. No, I, I don't, I don't disagree with you. Yeah. So, I, I don't. But, but, but these forwards are great. I mean, there's Marco Rossi who's going to be going and playing uh, pro next year in Europe if he doesn't make the NHL. You could get him at five or six overall. That would be that'd be swell. I mean, but there's Anton Lundell who's maybe would fall to where Florida would draft at like 13 or 14 or fifth. I don't know, fifth, whatever. Because I because if they don't win it and they lose in that, it would go by points percentage. So it would yeah, it's, who else advances? And I, who I knows don't know how. I really don't actually know how it, it. We'll know when we see the eight teams that go out, because like let's say all the top seeds win. The Panthers, I believe, would get it would be twelve or thirteen. I think I'm not sure, but I'm not. I'm. But let's just assume they pick where they always pick, which is twelve to thirteen every year. I'm just going to assume that for the time being because that makes yeah. more sense. But I mean, if I'm Florida, I'm picking center in the first round. I'm picking uh, a D in the second round, uh, and then you have two thirds. I'd probably also try to get another second round to get a D. So maybe moving the two thirds to get a second round to get, you know, um, cause I think some of these European D, um, and some of these CHL defensemen that, you know, aren't the Jamie Drysdales are actually going to end up being really good, um, new age defensemen that I talk about that I think Florida needs that, you know, I mean, people forget Thomas Harley, really great defenseman you know people didn't know if he was going to be that in his draft year all of that mm-hmm. um well you know, i also you know. want to say i hope that if the panthers are drafting anybody from the chl they haven't participated in any stupid hazing rituals like forcing a player to go into a bathroom and do cocaine uh they i mean i do mean i don't want to get into that there's ask the tough questions because um yeah if you know because have you followed it, any of that? Y- yes and no. I mean, I think it's. I, I think well, right now there's know, two things happen. It's not shocking to you, but... right? And and that's why I think that there's a lot of culture worry from every angle at and every side about a lot of issues. Uh, I think that there's a lot going on and fixing, um, but you know the issue with juniors and hazing has to do with um the the player you you know the players how they're treated you know they need a union um they need you know better edu- you know host families and all that that's a whole thing i'm probably not educated enough to talk about but um i don't i don't think that that you know there's a hockey culture issue but i don't think that um it's more than an issue with companies these junior hockey teams trying to get the most performance for the least amount of investment, both emotionally and financially with these growing teenagers who are bound to make really stupid and life altering decisions without proper guidance and and supervision. And it's also because the hockey thing is um, nobody has even wanted to change, like even remotely say, Hey, can we do this a little bit differently? You know, and it's also like with the Panthers, it's like, oh, I expect the bare minimum. If you've heard of like some of the improvements the CHL has made over recent years, you go, my first reaction when I heard that was, why weren't you doing all of that before? You should have been doing that from the start. It's not hard. 
Um, and, and I mean, if you haven't followed, it's Eric Guest. Look him up on Twitter and Instagram. You can watch his videos. If you haven't done, I encourage you to do it. And also read some of the stuff that Dan Carcillo has done in his lawsuit against the CHL. It is a very yeah, important issue to me. But, because you know, I, I think know why it is at this point. Yes. But, you know, as much as Dan Carcillo has been good, I think he's also been actively bad at times, too. And he's pushed. Well, it's the it's it's the unreliable narrator. Yeah. And it's and, and, and it's also he pushes. He, you know, it's he's also very reactionary to things. Um, it's not that he's where, I think it's where also- like Brock, Brock McGillis is much more contemplative, much more uh, fully complete in his thoughts and reasoning. I feel like Carcillo gets there eventually, but has at times become a victim of the social media reactionary. I just heard this. This just come out. This is really bad. This is really bad. This is really bad. And you know, I think that detracts from before, you know, that detracts from his larger. I, mean, I, I, I can I can get it. I believe him. Also, there's a lot going on with a lot of these. They're human beings. And some of these have been, and some of these people have been through hell and back. And so I will give them it's, it's kind of like Evander Kane in a way, like, you know, what he's doing with these black players. And I, I applaud that. But obviously he has skeletons in his closet that are not good. I don't think we can think of human beings as perfect or like perfect messengers. We have to deal with unreliable narrators. We have to deal with people with this kind of stuff. And, it, and, it's, and it's also for me, it's like I always go like to any level of hockey. If a gay player wanted to come out, would the leagues be ready? And if the answer is no, and the answer is no, you know, that concerns me because I, this sport more than anything else needs that, that jolt, that jolt, that shot in the arm, that big change that hopefully can make, you know, this, this sport better for people. And, and that's, that's what I want. And that's why I, I'm, I'm harder on it probably than other people, because it's, it's, it's necessary for me to see what I want to see and what I know you want to see for different reasons probably than I do, which is I want to see an openly gay high level hockey player. Yes, but I think that's part of the issue. And I think that that, you know, uh, like it's like there's a lot of pressure then put on the first openly gay player who's out and playing and all of that stuff. And then, you know, it's there's a lot of reasons players wait till after they retire, because the being the first at it is there's a lot of expectations. You can do things the wrong way or you're not. Maybe you didn't well, signal why, enough why to I this talk group. About not doing it the wrong way. I talk yeah. about making these things happen now, so it's not done the wrong way, and that's why well, I focus on this. Because if these leagues the, did it now, the NHL isn't ready, and it's well, not it's not even. The, the but then, well, it's time for the NHL to get ready, and they're not going to do it on their own. So that's but why. But they're not. But their focus. The, the NHL isn't ready, not because they're too homophobic. The NHL isn't ready because they do not have open conversations about anything business any open conversation about anything as a league and if until you can fix that then you can't even you know that's the issue it's why you you know you won't have a lot of things with the nhl whether it pertains to race or social progress or you know sexuality or you know anything that's not already baked into um, what's in the NHL right now is, is you know, because they there's no open dialogue discussion or fair faith. Everything is pretty closeted um, and pretty locked up under uh, Gary Bettman, um, who isn't Lou Lamarillo, but I think uh, ends up having that same type of uh, restrictive kill things down in their tracks, even if he performs 
lip service and does you know certain things that give a lot of impressions that they care or they do these things behind the scenes um i think you know by all intents and purposes the structure of the league and how they operate as a business kills all of that internally as and makes it well that's why i keep saying it if they aren't going to be willing to do it and then they got to be dragged to doing it and that's what we're going to do and that's why i do what i do and that's why proc does it yeah I, my he's better at it talking about it than me and I, also listen to some of the if you want to let me plug my uh, other podcast sure. sorry the outfield podcast um there's a couple of hockey related interviews uh, zach sullivan um Bro- uh, brock west and a couple of guys um, Adam Fire, those are the three ones. If you want to do hockey interviews, you can listen to what they talk about with the hockey-related things and what has gone on with their stories. That that should tell you a lot more than what we talk about. And though we care about these issues, and I care about these issues deeply, this isn't necessarily the place where we, we go into these issues in depth as we need to. So Also, there's a Y Hockey show from two years ago with Brock that you can listen to, and it's going to sound just as good as it did when we recorded yeah. that. So anyway, And, and uh, I do want to say that the, the hockey world is homophobic. I just don't think that uh, is too homophobic. But I, I, that, I don't think that's the initial hurdle that's stopping all of this. I think that it, there's it, a it larger— is definitely a, it, is, it is a huge—it's it's a hurdle to getting it started in many ways and it's also a hurdle in these players not it hurts these players in a way because they don't know whether like the people around them actually hate them or they're just saying it because that's what the culture dictates that they should do and that is a horrible question to ask and well i, I and i, I the, the part the problem also is an act of hate it's just a lot of ostracizing it's a lot of different you're an utter well, you're an other you're not the normal question is like these players they don't know what the actual answer to the question is you know what i mean like that that's what i'm saying yep. like they don't it's not black and white they think about it and those mental gymnastics you have to do wears you down it grates on you and i know this i've talked to yeah these people on and off the record about things like that and it's it, it and it hurts these players they they want to thrive they want to be able to do this the sport in many ways actively prevents them from doing it and i think it is a systemic culture issue from top on down and i i, I know that the nhl will get there i just think we're gonna have to drag them there kicking and screaming like yeah i i you can't do, you can't do it perform it it also goes back to my biggest uh, thing, which I will say, do you want a genuine display of apathy or an insincere display of charity? And I think the, the NHL and a lot of these leagues, their heart's in the right place, but they come off as insincere displays of charity. We're going to drag them to genuine displays of charity. We're going to get you to do this the right way. And that's what Brock is doing. That's what a lot of people are doing. And other me- people have different methods for doing it. Um, I have a different method for doing it than others. But in this sport, more than ever before, it is most, most, most critical to me that we get this right. And I know in hockey it could get it right because, again, I always think about what happens if we, we get to that day when it happens and how important a day it's going to be. There's a lot that I hope for in that particular regard. Okay. Uh, yeah. I think we could wrap this discussion up and wrap everything up. Um, draft guide is coming closer to the draft. I mean, there's no point. I mean, it's 90% done. I mean, I'll, I might make little – changes and stuff but it's 90 percent done there's just no rush to publish it because you're about to have how many hockey games a, a day for Five or six. for a month From you know till after midnight we're gonna have march madness style hockey and i am so excited because i just i love the idea that i'm gonna get up at noon and i'm gonna watch hockey all day i think that's the best feeling 
I love the idea that I now have to choose between hockey and the Champions League, which is great. I love that. And I just love, we people have been asking for hockey to do this for years. Don't focus all at night on the weekend. Start a game at noon and then go wall to wall. It's going to be great. It's going to be, there's going to be hockey on our screens all the time. We're going to have so much to talk about. And it means that I don't have to rely on Aussie Rules football anymore to get my kick. Also, a uh, little cleanup. Uh, we missed this. Dennis Sanko signed. Yes, uh, Important that they didn't, unlike the other Russian prospects, they didn't start his contract this year to not be able to play and burn a year. They did that with Borgstrom. We saw how it worked out. It'd be a lot different if Borgstrom had another year left on his contract and wasn't doing everything as a negotiating tactic with a team he views as somewhat hostile to him. Uh, Dennis so, Sanko's going to be a big player next year. And he's, and he's going to be good. I'm really excited for him. He plays like that Huberto-ish, Dadunov kind of mix in, in between them uh, with you know also, his playmaking, scoring, Here's the best suspension in the history of the National Hockey League, we should mention. Uh, Brendan Lemieux um, was going to get a hearing for interference in that last game before the pause. Okay, He was going to get suspended. Then the league went shut down, and now he's suspended for two qualifying games in the Stanley Cup playoffs for that interference. Now, Brendan Lemieux sucks. So it's not as if, like, the Rangers are going to miss him. I just find it hilarious. He's suspended for something that literally happened five months ago. It is my favorite NHL suspension of all time. Yeah. Uh, definitely don't like Brendan or Claude, Rem Claude Lemieux, um, for sure. And uh, the last thing I'll say about Denisenko is he's another reason why Florida needs to draft a center in the first round. No I'm, more wingers. I, I am I am getting more on that that train by the day. I, because I, it's much easier to draft and develop a center than to take, than to look at your pool of wingers, figure out which one is the best to trade, getting that right, and then getting the trade right and getting a defenseman in or a center in or whatever that's of equal value to that player. You you got some wingers you like. You got Tippett. You got Denisenko. Borkdrum, Hepo, Niemi are what they are. We'll see what it is. Noel also throw it in there. Let's get some centers. Let's do it. There's some good ones. They're Russian. There's some Swedes out there. You can get them in the second round even. I don't know, man. I think Florida can do it. Florida can trade back. Maybe get a couple picks in the two picks in the top 40. Get a center defenseman in the 20s and the 30s from Europe who could play in the NHL or play in the AHL next year or over in Europe. And then go to the AHL, who can really be transformative. And uh, you know, everyone's everyone's looking at all these CHL, USHL high scores. But uh, I'm looking at some of these Russians. I have not seen a good Russian pool like this in a long time, and that's saying something because the Russian prospect pools for like the last 10 years, you know, obviously have done well, World Juniors, et cetera, et cetera, and the prospects have been great. So. That's it. That's Russia all my words. Love. And also, I am going to be watching far more of the hockey than the NBA in the, in the Orlando bubble or the baseball in no, no stands. I'm excited for that. Yay. Yeah, and hopefully the NHL rethinks the five-second delay so we can hear cursing. Uh, well, actually, you know what? Bringing it back to another discussion, I don't want to hear the, <laughs> the, the British slang term for a cigarette uttered every five seconds, personally. Uh, you wouldn't hear that every other five seconds playing hockey. You would hear it maybe once a game on a you know an after scrum, like it's more used in like the in a back and forth trash talk situation versus like what you would hear in a game of sound. Well, you're still game. gonna hear it, and I know what's gonna happen when it's turn it on. off in between the after you know turn off the mics, turn off the audio you know after the whistle. 
Oh boy, I, I'm waiting for it. It's going to happen, and there's going to yeah. be a, a whole mess when it does. But anyway, this was a great show. I think we're going to come back to you uh, after game one, probably. We've got two days to talk about it. So. Yes, that's that's that, uh, unless you know something crazy happens. Yep, so that would be Sunday, August 2nd. So that is about two weeks from today. We're recording this on Monday. It's posted on Tuesday. About 12 days, we'll have a show for you. Actually, we might be able to record it on the night because the game will be over by, like, 6.30. So, also, the one thing I should mention, nooners. Two noon games. You'd just love to see the Panthers get noon weekday afternoon games because they're playing the Islanders and nobody gives a crap. If they were playing yep, the Leafs, yep. they'd play at night, but they're not. So, oh boy. Love those nooners. I they should be used to it. Oh, they should be getting used to it, but I'm getting college football problems. So that's why hockey. Ooh,